Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was faithful in all his house. Now, I believe maybe two Sundays ago, I did a message based on Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, where the Bible talked about how God had spoken in times past to the fathers by the prophets and that in these last days he's speaking to us in son or by his son. But in Amplified Translation, the Bible says, in son. And I use that message to establish to us that God has a language. And that there's a language in the kingdom of God that is not Hebrew. It is not Greek. It is not Aramaic. It is not Latin. It is not Yoruba language. It is not Igbo. It is not Hausa. It is not Spanish. None of those. And in that and through that message, we established that the language God speaks today is Sonish, as in S O N I S H, in the same fashion as. If you were to go to England, you will speak what? English. If you went to Spain, you will speak what? Spanish. If you went to Finland, you will speak what? Finnish. So if you are in the kingdom of God, there is only one kingdom language. Spanish. And you and I will be best served if we understand that the only language God speaks and hears is Sonish. Now, the scripture that Dr. Nitete shared with Sami, who shared it with me, and I'm sharing it with you, is taken from the book of Romans. Chapter 6. In the message translation, this was so, when I saw this yesterday, I just about lost my head. Romans chapter 6, message Bible. Message Bible. Somebody help me there quickly. Thank you very much, sir. In verse 5, but I need to read verses 3 to 5 for it to make any sense. Message translation, Romans chapter 6, verse 3. That's what baptism into the life of Jesus means. When we are lowered into the water, it is like the burial of Jesus. When we are raised up out of the water, it is like the resurrection of Jesus. Now notice this next sentence. Each of us is raised into a light, Filled world 
by our Father so we can see where we're going in our what? New grace, sovereign country. Oh my God. The praise team this morning, you have never sung until today. As far as concerned, as, as far as I'm concerned, this is the first time the praise team has ever sung a song. My God. Grace, 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 rest, 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 Jesus, 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 Jesus. They sang sunish today. But look at what this verse just said. For those of us who are born again, we are told we are in a new grace, sovereign country. The operative word there is new. And it is by grace. And it is a sovereign country. Which of necessity, I remember years ago when I was going to be naturalized as an American citizen. One of the requirements was you acquire the language in this country. There is no being an American, and I'm speaking Swahili, or whatever it is I speak. It was common knowledge, common sense, that if I'm going to be a part of a new country, assimilated into the system, I needed to acquire the language. The Bible tells us that you and I as born again believers were a part of a light field, new, grace, sovereign country. So learning Spanish is not an option. If you are going to succeed in your work with God, learning and understanding Spanish is not an option. And over the weekend as I was preparing, I began to understand why this is so critical. I told my wife years ago, if we could do anything over, when we send missionaries abroad, Renee, I would have made it a necessity that the missionaries going to where they were going had to acquire language. It's all right for short-term missionaries. Two weeks, one week, ten days, three weeks. That's fine. You get by with translators and so forth. But if you are to live in a country and be immersed in that country, if you are to function and be effective and understand what's going on, you need to learn the language. And I'm li- I've said that the message. The reason being, the language opens up for you and I, the culture of the people you are dealing with. Yes. When you understand the language, you know why they do what they do and when they do it. Things that ordinarily you and I would see and hear and say, these guys are crazy. Why are they doing this? Well, because you are looking from outside in and because you've not understood the, the, the language that they speak, you do understand why they're doing what they're doing. So this morning, building on this message that we started, we are going to be talking 
about the culture of God. Not only does God have a language, his language helps us to understand his culture. And if you and I are going to get in this place and just really be rested, as we just sang, and it is available, then we not only need to know the language, we need also to understand the culture, the culture of the kingdom of God. So now back to Hebrews chapter 3. You see very beautifully that we have a new country. It's sovereign. And it's a grace country. Grace. Okay? Back to Hebrews chapter 3 verse 1. As we take on and build on this message. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and the high priest of our confession. And we are told who he is. He is Jesus Christ. Now for those of you who may not have been here, and this is very, very difficult, having to uh, 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 go back and do a little review here. I'm not going to do any lengthy review, but you need to understand to whom Hebrews is written. This is important. Because the point I want to make this morning, you will miss it if you don't understand why the writer is writing what he's writing about the culture of God. These were Jewish believers who had made a transition from Judaism to Christianity. They actually, literally, worshipped in the temple, killed the animal sacrifices, understood the ceremonial laws, went through all of those rituals, and finally became born again. But when they became born again, all of the vestiges of the old system were still there. They still had friends, neighbors, brothers, cousins, fathers, mothers who were still part of the old system and was constantly dragging them and saying, let's go back. Just like today, many of us may have been part of other religious persuasions. Maybe you are a CAC. Maybe you are a celestial church. Maybe you had been part of some apostolic faith. Maybe you've been a part of another denomination. Maybe you are a Catholic. Whatever it was. And the tendency is, even though you've made a transition and you are now born again, you didn't forget what you used to do. You didn't lose your mind. You remembered how you burned your candles. You remember how you swing the incense. You remember Mary being the person you prayed to. So now, for these people, there was a persecution, a pressure. That was upon them to say, wait a minute, why are you doing what you're doing? Why are you abandoning the tradition of the fathers? This is the audience to which this writer is writing. Moving quickly in the message. It says, consider the apostle and high priest of a confession. Now, if I, if I, if I didn't say what I'm about to say, you read that and just psh, go over it. You miss a, a big point. The audience that was hearing this message, when the writer said, consider the apostle and high priest, what or how do you think they received it? What kind of thought do you think went through their mind? Let me help you. Here am I. I'm traveling. Hartsfield International Airport. 
I got a TSA. I put my passport in their hands and they looked at my passport and my name is Osama Bin Laden. Do you think that will ring a bell? I'm sure they probably tell, send me to a secondary uh, inspection. Say, oh, Osama Bin Laden? Okay, all right. They push you aside. Not to say I'm a terrorist, but the fact that my name is synonymous with somebody that's notorious in the United States rings an alarm. They may clear me ultimately, but they're going to want to ask me many more questions. You go to Germany today. You're applying for a job and they say, what is your name? Oh, my name is Mr. Hitler. Whoa! Immediate red flag. Why? Because your name is the same as the name of a person who are taking that nation through a terrible history that everybody remembers. You go to deep south. USA. And say, what's your name? My name is Ku Klux Klan. Will of the Grand Wizard. Everybody, gonna say, they're going to take cover. Now, am I playing with, game, with words here? No, I'm not. When this writer said, consider the apostle and the high priest, they did not think what you and I are thinking now. You and I immediately, when you heard the word apostle, you think of Paul, you think of Peter, you think of John, James, Matthew. No, not for those guys, they didn't. There was one apostle of Israel. The one that God sent with a special message. The word apostle means a special messenger. The word apostle means a sent one. So when you say to the Hebrew mind, the apostle, I am sorry, they are not thinking of Paul. No, not of John. No, not of Peter. There was only one name that suited or fitted that category. It's called Moses. Moses. He was the one that God sent in Exodus to go to Egypt and get his people out. He was the one that God gave a special message to, to Pharaoh. Let my people go. So to the Hebrew mind, they were thinking heavy duty Moses. And then when they heard the word high priest, similarly, they were not thinking of the Lord Jesus Christ. He, Jesus, did not become a high priest until after the resurrection. So for the Hebrew mind, again, he was steeped. He was well-versed in knowing the history of his nation. And the most prominent high priest Israel ever produced was the first one, Aaron. So when this apostle says, consider the apostle and high priest, of your confession. The first thing these guys had to think of, wait a minute now, what are you going to tell us about Moses and Aaron? Because these are names that are highly esteemed in the history of the Jewish tradition. What are you going to touch Aaron? You're going to touch Moses? You're going to have problems on your hands. 
Are you, follow, are you following me so far? So now let's go to where they went. Because if you remember the entire book of Hebrews chapter 3, we dealt with it on Wednesday. I cannot do that now. We, are, we covered chapter 3 on Wednesday. If you remember what we said on Wednesday night, none of those guys made it into the promised land. None of them. So this writer hits them head on. Is it Moses you want to talk about? Is it Aaron? What happened to them? Did Moses and Aaron not get forbidden from entering into their breast, into their promised land like the rest of them? You want to compare Moses to this Jesus? Is that where you want to go? Consider. Yes, bring Moses to the table. But we also bring Jesus. Bring Aaron to the table. We also bring Jesus. Let's consider them. Let's see which one you choose. <laughs> oh, hallelujah. I am talking about Jesus, a master, a savior. The glory of God, the bright express image of who God is, the sustainer, the inheritor. Jesus Christ, the ruler of the world, out of the universe. Ah, who would you compare him with? Who is like unto him? Let's go there. Numbers. Chapter 20. Numbers chapter 20. Hallelujah. The culture of God. Numbers 20. Let's look at the esteemed Moses. Verse 1. Numbers 20 verse 1. So we know that God has a language. Sonish. We also know he has a culture. We're going to decode it in a minute. Then the children of Israel, the whole congregation, came into the wilderness of Zin in the first month. And the people stayed in Kadesh. And Miriam died there and was buried there. Now there was no water for the congregation. So they gathered together against who? Moses and Aaron. Moses the apostle, Aaron the high priest. Okay? And the people contended with Moses and spoke saying, If only we had died when our brethren died before the Lord. Why have you brought us, brought the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness that we and our animals should die here? And why have you made us come up out of Egypt? To bring us to this evil place. Can you imagine these people? It is not a place of grain or figs or vines or pomegranates. Nor is there any water to drink. So Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly. To the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And they fell on their faces. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying. Take the rod, you and your brother Aaron, gather the congregation together, speak to the rock before the eyes, and it will yield its water. Thus, you shall bring water for them out of the rock and give drink to the congregation and their animals. Now, if you have a Bible like mine, in that verse 8, 
immediately there's a cross reference. Okay, verse, let me read one more verse. So Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him. That is very important. That verse 9, if you have a study Bible, there's a cross reference there that takes you immediately to Numbers 17. And we need to go there. Numbers 17. Because this rod that God told Moses to take to use to fetch water for Israel has a history. It had been called the rod of Moses. It had been called the rod of Aaron. And it also has been called the rod of God. The same rod. Rod of Moses, rod of Aaron, and the rod of God. But more importantly, we are told here that this rod was before God. It was right there before the act of the testimony. But it's important that you understand what's going on here in order to decode for you the culture of God. Numbers chapter 17. Remember how we got here. Consider the apostle and high priest of confession. So let's go back. Number 17. Context here is in the preceding chapter, Numbers chapter 16, Korah, that's another name you don't want to name your children. Korah and his sons had come to Moses and Aaron. You take too much upon yourselves. Are you the only ones here that God loves and cares about? Why do you say all these things? Why how come nobody else can do anything? And if you read Numbers chapter 16, God dealt with them instantly. The earth swallowed them. They died. So, having done that, God now said, you know what? I need to teach the rest of the congregation a lesson. Just so there will not be any more rebellion like what just happened with Korah. That's how we got to number 17. Let's read. And the, verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel and get from them a rod from each father's house. All their leaders, according to their father's houses, 12 rods. Write each man's name on his rod. And you shall write Aaron's name on the rod of Levi. For there shall be one rod for the head of each father's house. Then you shall place them in the tabernacle of meeting before the testimony. That's the ark. Where I meet with you. And it shall be that the rod of the man whom I choose will blossom. Thus I will rid myself of the complaints of the children of Israel which they made against you. So Moses spoke to the children of Israel and each of their leaders gave him a rod apiece. For each leader, according to their father's houses, 12 rods and the rod of Aaron was among their rods. Now look at what's happening. Verse 7. And Moses placed the rods before the Lord in the tabernacle of witness. Now it came to pass on the next day that Moses went into the tabernacle of witness and behold, the rod of Aaron of the house of Levi had sprouted and put forth birds, had produced blossoms, 
and yielded ripe almonds. Then Moses brought out all the rods from before the Lord to all the children of Israel, and they looked, and each man took his rod. And the Lord said to Moses, Bring Aaron's rod back before the testimony. Now you understand now why Numbers 20, the rod that God told him to pick up was before the testimony. Do you remember that? Are you sure you remember that? In Numbers 20, when God gave him the instruction to pick up the rod and go speak to the rock, that rod was already in God's presence. The way it got there is what we just read. There was rebellion in the camp. God said, today we will know who has authority. Each tribe send a rod with your name on it and put them before me. Come in 24 hours, I will have told you who's your leader here. In 24 hours when they return, can you imagine? An ordinary stick. In 24 hours, had buds, blossoms, and ripe almonds. My God. I'm praying that God will help me to get this message across. If you want to know who has authority, whether you're a father, you're a husband, you're an employer, whoever you are, wherever you may be, your position does not give you authority. The only authority God recognizes is fruitfulness. And the last thing I saw when I read my Bible, the fruit of the Spirit is love. So this morning, may I introduce to you the culture of the kingdom of God. The culture of God is love. If you have no fruit, you may make noise. You can shout, yell, cry. You can do whatever you want to do. I want to say to you, you have no authority with God. The only authority God sanctions under this sovereign country called grace is fruitfulness which is demonstrated by agape. Love. Why is it so? Because as you can see with those rocks, it had to be supernaturally produced. You could not do it otherwise. That's why we call it the fruit of the spirit. Not the fruit of agriculture. Not the fruit of a farmer. But the fruit of the spirit. It takes the spirit of God doing an inner work in you and I to produce this fruit. And when the fruit is produced, Jesus tells us, by their fruit you will know them. How are you going to know them? By what they do, what they say, how they behave. That's how you know them. Sunish is the language of the kingdom. But love is the culture of this kingdom. It gets gooder. Or better shall I say. Now, going back to Numbers 20. <laughs> Numbers 20. Numbers 20. Look at verse 10. And now remember the instruction. Okay, God says, okay, let me go back and read it. Because I know we have, some of us may have 
We're thinking, we're thinking of other things we may have forgotten. Verse 8. Take the rod. You and your brother Aaron, gather the congregation together. Speak to the rock before the eyes. And it will yield its water. Thus, you shall bring water for them out of the rock and give to the congregation and the animals. So, Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock. And he said to them, Hear now, you rebels. Must we bring water for you out of this rock? Then Moses lifted his hand and struck the rock, the rock twice with his rod. And water came out abundantly on the congregation and the animals drank. Question. What language was Moses speaking in verse 10? When he called the people of God rebels, was he speaking Sonish? Couldn't have. Because God didn't send him to say that. God just said to him, pick up the rod, which you had nothing to do with. I am the one that turned the rod into a fruitful one. It had nothing to do with you. You couldn't produce this. In the past, I told you to strike the rock. Today, I'm not asking to strike it. I just want you to speak to it. Why? Paul tells us the rock that followed Israel was Christ. Jesus Christ will not be smitten twice. He was smitten once and now you have to speak to him. You can't strike him again. But notice what's going on with Moses. If you read in Psalms 106, oh my God, I think we've, we, we better read it. Because you will not appreciate, appreciate this apostle if we don't read this. Psalm 106. Very quickly. Psalm 106, verse 32. Psalm 106, verse 32. Look at what it says. This Psalm 106 is giving us a divine commentary of what happened in Numbers 20. Look at what it says. Verse 32. They angered him also at the waters of strife so that it went ill with Moses on their account because they rebelled against his spirit so he spoke rashly with his lips. Your brothers, your sisters, your employees, your children, your husbands, your wives will push you. They will do things that will place a pressure on you. That pressure is intended to help us to know, do you have the rightful place of authority because if you have it, you will only speak sonish. Two weeks ago, I showed you, Judas came to the garden to betray Jesus with a kiss. What was the sonish language? Friend. That's what he called him. He didn't say, you are a traitor. You are betraying me. No. So here in Numbers 20, 
The people had pushed Moses to the limit. They had pushed him, complained, murmured, grumbled until Moses lost his language. And out of anger, instead of speaking to the rock as God had instructed him, remember, he's a sent one. And when you are sent, you are under the commission of he who sent you. Instead of speaking to the rock, he struck the rock twice. Notice what he said. Must I bring water from you for you out of this rock? Did the rock belong to him? Now this is more important point I don't want you to miss. Remember the rod he has in his hand. What were on those rods? On that rod? Buds, blossoms, almonds. Now picture in your mind's eye. If I'm to take a rod that has fruits on it and bah, bah, what happens to the fruits? Ah, oh, the fruit fell off. The fruit do what? Fall off. By implication, what happens? Your love is falling off. The love that qualified you to be in authority has fallen off your rod. Consequently, you lose your position or your voice as authority. I, listen, I didn't make it up. Numbers number 20. Okay. Verse 12. Did God wait till next week? Did they have a council? Did they, no. Did they pray? Verse 12. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron. Because you did not what? No, you didn't read it. Please read it. Because you did not what? What did I tell you on Wednesday? Kept Israel out of the promised land. Believe. Why are people not born again? Unbelief. It's the same thing. The issue is believing. But let's read on. Because you did not believe me, to hallow me in the eyes of the children of Israel. Hallow means, another, another transition said, to sanctify me. In other words, by your action, you misrepresented me. By doing what you did, you showed the rest of the congregation that this is who I am. You showing them this is my culture. That I'm a loose cannon. That any pressure from them gets so to me, this is what I'll do. God said, because you did not believe me or hallow me before this congregation. Let's read it on. Therefore, you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I've given them. That's the consequence. Remember, they are born again, typically. They are not losing their salvation. That's not what we're saying. But the life of spiritual abundance, the land of promise, the land that's flowing with milk and honey. God said, because you have not learned to walk in my agape, in my love, and you've misrepresented me, and my culture to the people, you can't you can go in. 
You can't go. Now, this is where it gets really tricky. And I know time is going fast, fast spent. This is really where it concerns you and I. We need to really take this at heart. When Moses struck that rock, who was he striking? Jesus. Jesus. You got 50%. 100% correction will be Jesus and his body. You didn't hear me. Jesus and his body. Because Jesus is not alone now. Through baptism, I've been united and joined together with him. Here, here, is, the king, here is the kicker. Every time I latch out at my wife, or she latches out at me, or you latch out at your employer, or at your co-worker, or at your employee, you are latching out at the Lord Jesus and his body. That's how personal Jesus took it with Paul. Paul was only out there looking to persecute believers. Jesus said, don't you understand? You are persecuting me. I'm taking it personal. We're in a time that God has given us rest. We're in a, an era of grace. It's more than a season. Because season means it, go, it comes and goes. This is the new country. It's a grace country. And I'm telling us, our language must be sunnish. Our culture must be love. Now, the reason the writer said what he said, consider the apostle and high priest of your confession, Jesus Christ. So immediately they are thinking, okay, is this apostle Jesus? Is this high priest Jesus going to be like Moses and Aaron who led us so far and couldn't take us in? Ah! Oh, hallelujah! God forbid! Why? Because in the next verse, verse 2, the Bible says, Jesus has been faithful to him who has appointed him. Hear me, church. Jesus is not being faithful for you. I know, that, I, 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 know I was going to get that, that reaction. No. No. His primary mission was not you. You didn't send him. Your will, oh God, I came to do. It is his father's will. His motivation is not you. I'm sorry. His primary motivation is not you and I. Now I know I'm going to qualify that in a minute. But if you don't understand this, you miss the whole thing. He has been faithful to him who appointed him. There is only one person to whom he has to give account. It is to his father. And when you read in John 17, in his high priestly prayer, he said to the father, everything you've given me, I still have it. Oh, hallelujah. I have not lost one except the son of perdition. The reason you and I can be at rest is because it's not about us, but it's about him. He is committed to make sure that the father that appointed him, he will not disappoint the father. Hallelujah. 
The question is, are we going to drive him as crazy as the Israelites drove Moses and Aaron? And the reason that cannot happen is because he's not looking at us. Moses was looking at the Israelites. They drove him crazy. But Jesus is not looking at bank. Hey, are you going to pray today? Hey, if bank prays, maybe everything will be fine. Bank, are you going to give today? No, he's not looking at me. What do I do? He already knows who I, who, how I'm made. He knows my frailties. He knows my shortcomings. He knows my failures. He knew them before I was born. So his immediate mission is his father. He's going to be faithful to his father. And as a result of that, as a result of him being faithful to his father, then you and I come into the equation. But you have to get it in that sense first. Because if you think Jesus was just born for you, and is on a mission just for you, you miss it. He said to his parents, how wist thou should, should know that I'm about who? My father's business. He made it very, very clear. We were not paying attention. It's about his father's business. But, because the father has chosen to love us, John 3.16 for God, so love the world. He gave his only begotten son. So the issue of love here is the issue of, of the father loving us. Jesus loves us. You must understand that. I'm not saying he does not love us, but I'm just, I'm just trying to help you understand the, 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 how these things work. Primary concern for Jesus, I want to fulfill my father's mission. The father loves us. Now, look at John 17. And I've got to bring this to a close. John 17. Look at this prayer here. Just so you see where you and I come into the equation. John 17. Ah, it's too much to read, but let me read a couple of verses. Verse 12. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Do you see him giving account? I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me, I have kept. And none of them is lost except the son of perdition. Okay, jump with me now. Uh, in verse 20. Look at where we are involved. I do not pray for this alone but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Verse 23, I'm jumping. Verse 23, I in them and you in me that they may be made perfect in one and that the world may know that you have sent me, apostles, sent, sent, sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. So the issue here is, the issue here is in Jesus' prayer for us, as he was about to leave, he said, Father, let the world know that the way you've loved me, your son, Jesus, that you love them as well. That settles it. We have no doubt of the Father's love for his son. So Jesus said, listen, the way you've loved me and honored me on earth, let the world know because transfer that love back to, us, to them as well. That's the equation for us. The language of God is sonish. The culture of God absolutely is love. Now, let me just make one, observe, one, 
one, one, one, one, one statement before I close. Our unfaithfulness and provocation will never get Jesus off his game like Moses and Aaron. It's not going to happen. If it would have happened, it should have happened. They betrayed him. They called him the son of Beelzebub. They railed against him. They lied upon him. They hated him. And then ultimately, they crucified him. And still, and still, he faced this mission. If love then is the culture of the kingdom, what has to be the culture in this church? How do we demonstrate that? Everyone in authority in this house must touch the people that they serve with agape. I mean agape. This is where the rubber meets the road. Yes, people that walk with me, walk around me, serve with me, they will blow it. They will make mistakes. They will do silly things. They will do stupid things. Does that give me a right to yell at them? Like Moses just yelled at the Israelites? Is yelling the language of the kingdom? And please, let me take a moment to speak to some of us of the African persuasion. As I close. Because in Africa, we think the, devil, the de demons are deaf. So if we've not yelled, Satan! Devil! Come on out there! We don't think the devil can hear. You're laughing. So we transfer that. Our children at home, they drop a glass. You stupid boy! What's wrong with you? A glass. A glass. They spill water. Rather than lovingly correct them and show them the right thing to do, we yell as if they have murdered your father or your mother or somebody. Even criminals in the American legal system have certain honor and dignity that is accorded to them. I am saying this with real, real sternness because from this day forward, if this is not carried out, I'll be like God. No, 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 no. I'm serious. I'm very, very serious. I'm very, very serious. I don't want our children to be afraid of us. And by extension, because that's how we'll deal with them at home. We come to a church setting. I see an adult, somebody's husband, somebody's wife, and I treat them in the same way, call them, yell at them in the same manner as I do to my children, and I expect for them to come back from my abuse the next Sunday. I can get abuse at home. I don't need to come to church. That has to stop. The culture of the kingdom of God is love. No matter what the individual does, no matter, it is the goodness of God that leads men to repentance, not the yelling of man. If I see it or hear it, I'm going to put numbers 20 and 12 right in your face. You are not going to the promised land. Not to this promised land. 
See, because like I said at the beginning, we must take heed. That's how I started the message. Heeding. Heeding meaning I'm hearing what, what has been said. I'm making the adjustment. I'm making the correction. Why do I want to come to church and serve in the church? And I do something wrong and I get yelled at. I go to work for Pharaoh, they yell at me. I come to the house of my father, God's house, they yell at me. Where will I see love? Where will I see it? For this short season, anybody that experiences that, take, bring it to me directly. Boycott, bypass all the protocols and come straight to my desk. No, 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 I'm doing this for a reason. It will not always be like that. We're going to go back to the existing protocol in a minute. But in this season where I'm trying to establish this culture, I'm saying to you, you have the liberty to call, write, and let me know. Because, to the glory of God, I'm the Moses in this house. Yes. We need to get this right. The language of God is sunish. And the culture of God is love. And the love of God is being shared about in our heart by the Holy Spirit. Now, I understand that we are developing and that all of us may not be at, diff- at the same level of love. I understand that. I give that room. But you should not be where you are yesterday, today. You should not be where you are in your love tank last week, today. Something is wrong. And if this is a problem for you, if your language is yelling, you need to go to the altar. I'm serious. You see, we are praying useless prayers. We don't, we don't understand praying at all. You need to go to the other father. Your culture is love. I catch myself every now and then yelling, shouting, gnashing my teeth, railing like a madman. Help my madness. Amen. Amen. You, should, you shouldn't accept it as normal. Who tells you it's normal? We just went through the book of John. We saw it. People committed adultery. Jesus touched them gently, tenderly, with love, with kindness. Can it get any worse than that? You say, Pastor Bang, does that mean you are perfect? No, not by any means. But my wife will tell you, every time I blow it and do that, I run to my closet, get it fixed, and go back to it and say, I'm sorry. It is not acceptable. And I'm constantly challenging myself. Now, not only, not, only, not only do I do it to her, I'm serious. Even among the congregation, I said something, I touched on somebody hard, maybe it was too hard. I became, how many times have I called you and told you I'm sorry? Tell them. Does that make me any less a man? No. No. I just want to be like God. I don't want to be any less than what God has already ordained for me to be. Anything less is a mystery. Not only do I tell them and apologize to them, when I have blown in, of course, I say, listen, this is what I just did, though. I've told them. I've been naked. I'm not, I'm not wearing talisman. 
I have no problem in saying, listen, this is, what, this, this is how I missed it. Why? I don't want them to miss it like that. Father, in the name of your son Jesus, we are trying and we are thanking you for establishing us in your language and at the same time in your culture. We embrace the culture of God, love, which establishes men and women in authority. And we pray that the love of God that has been shred above in our heart through the Holy Spirit will be real for us. It will not just be something we hear about and admire in other people. After all, this is a new grace in a sovereign country. So we receive that love for ourselves so that through loving you and loving one another, the world will know, ah, we are indeed a holy nation, a peculiar people, a special people that set apart for you and your kingdom and your glory. And so God, we thank you right now that we will all heed earnestly to the word you brought us today. It will not just be a word that we just hear and just go back to our own vomit. No, 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 no. We say no to that. We say yes to your word. We embrace it. Guide us. Lead us. Help us. We receive that grace. We thank you for that grace. We embrace it. It is real to us. We are working in it. We are manifesting it. By the love of God that's flowing through us, we will win our world. Thank you, Father. We honor and we bless you today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.